It's June 1377. The old king is dying in Sheen Palace near London. With suppurating sores from a large abscess, the king is slipping in and out of consciousness and is about to have a paralyzing stroke. His unpopular, devious young mistress, Alice Perez, is pulling the rings from his fingers and filling her pockets with valuables from his bedroom. In a few hours, King Edward III will be dead. Chivalry will die with him, ushering in a hundred years of war with France and a hundred years of war in his own family. I'm a real history nerd. I read history books all the time. I watch period pieces and dramas. I love imagining going back in time. In fact, that's what my dreams are made of. And it's very rare to find someone who has the same bizarre obsession. And I found such a person in Anthony Medera, who is the CEO of Taylor Blinds. We decided in 2018 we were going to get together the following year, and we were going to put together a series of history podcasts on the lesser-known side of the people that you might have heard of, the great characters of history. That is what these podcasts are all about. King Edward III was the quintessential medieval king. I mean, this guy is, when you think of a king in medieval Europe, this is the guy you think of. Gold crown on his head, painted shield, sword in one hand, trying to rule the country like a warrior, and at the same time trying to manage the feudal system and trying to be a chivalrous knight and all of that stuff. I mean, this guy really embodied all of that. He had a 50-year reign as English king which is, I think, the third longest in history. It's amazing for that time. Because people didn't live long in those days. Well, especially not at his time because of the Black Plague. The Black Plague wiped out, I think it was, a full third of Europe's population. And I read two-thirds of of England. Really? Yeah. My God. So not a good time. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely not. (laughs) But Edward had a a very interesting life because his father was a bit of a weakling. His father was the son of another Edward, so it was Edward the first son, Edward the second, who was the father of Edward the third. You can see they ran out of names. <laughs> King Edward the second was was a real weakling. He he was eventually murdered by his barons in Barclay Castle. They say if you go to Barclay Castle, you can still hear the screams in the tower that he was killed in. And you know how they killed him? How they took a red hot poker in the fire, shoved it up his ass, and burnt out his insides because oh. they didn't want to leave a mark. That's scary. Isn't that awful? Yeah, that's horrible. He would have been a great king in the 21st century, though. Yeah, Edward he II, was, he, was, he drank a lot. He networked very well. Yeah, yeah. he enjoyed things like gardening. and He and was a good sportsman. He could speak well, but he wasn't a warrior. No. And in no. those days, you needed to be a good warrior. Otherwise, they just didn't take you seriously. And his administration didn't do well. So, no. So I think those are two th- quite important details. <laughs> so look what happened to him. Anyway, Edward III grew up then with this complicated relationship with his father. His mother was a terrible woman in terms of her influence on English politics. She was really murderous. She married her lover, and the two of them wreaked havoc for what was Edward's minority, you know, when he was too young to actually be king on his own. Um, Her name was Isabella. They called her the she-wolf of France. But because his mother was a princess of France and his father was a king of England, Edward always thought of himself as being English and French, and he actually wanted to be king of England and France. And I suppose that's what set him up for a really interesting life. Mm, that drove him. 
can see it constantly. He even forgot his backyard. The Scots started getting stronger because he was fiddling around in, I think, for a whole year in Calais. You know, it's. <laughs> so at the time, there's the Black Death going on. It's a, it's a tough time in medieval Europe, but it's also the time where you need a strong leader. And, and this guy was, uh, he was gifted in, in the martial arts and the ability to wage war. He fought a cunning, but not very strong French king. And in two big battles, uh, Crecy and uh, Poitiers, he managed to defeat the French and effectively did become king of France. Correct. He did. In fact, the, the English kings, the coat of arms at that time was half France and half England as a result of the fact that he had decided he was king of both. And he had himself crowned and he uh, went back. He was born at Windsor Castle, so it was always the center of of his universe. And he went back to England and he founded something called the Order of the Garter. And when we talk about chivalry and we talk about what it means to be a medieval knight, you get all these ideas that knights go around slaying dragons and rescuing maidens. That comes from Edward III. That particular set of um, knights were all from the Battle of Crecci. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened was that, that Edward decided he was going to have a, a round table, effectively, a lot like King Arthur, of knights that he would choose to be his companions. They would form the center of the court. They would be the ones who would decide what the rules were, how people were to behave. It was also a way for him to keep the nobles busy because if they could become part of this order of the garter that he instituted, they would be more important than all the other barons. So it gave them all a pecking order. And there's nothing like a pecking order to get the nobility excited. And also orders like the Knights Templar. There were other orders. Yeah, So they wanted his order. And this order still exists to this day. In fact, if you go to Windsor Castle in April, you will see a process down the hill of knights in their robes, knights of the garter. The queen, I think she has 22 knights companions that can be around at any given time. And just recently, I think Prince William was made the thousandth knight of the garter. There have been a thousand of them. That's not a lot if you consider 1,300. Exactly. Yeah, so he instituted this. They they wear a special hat with a special feather in it. They put their coat of arms on the ceiling of St. George's Chapel in Windsor, and they get to hang their banner over the choir there, and they get to be called Sir. And the Order of the Garter comes with a collar, and it comes with a garter, an actual garter that's meant to hold up a stocking. And the reason for that is that King Edward III, at a banquet when he was busy thinking about these things, was dancing with Joan, the Maid of Kent, and her garter slipped off, and it was very embarrassing. And all the women in the court started tittering, and all the men started laughing, and they all thought this was very, very rude because how dare a woman's garter slip down her leg? Oh, it's a huge impropriety. And King Edward said, qui malépense, which means evil be to him who thinks evil of this. And he picked it up, and he put it on himself, and he decided to create the Order of the Garter. Sure, that's amazing. Now, the most honorable order of chivalry in the world is based on an embarrassing situation in 1320-something. <laughs> so, yeah, the queen is the sovereign of the order of the garter. It still happens. And, and Margaret Thatcher was Margaret Thatcher was in. appointed to it. I think John Major still is a knight of the garter. Okay. So she reserves it. It's her own choice to put people into the order of the garter. It's not up to the government. So whereas the prime minister gets to decide and the government gets to decide who gets an OBE or a CBE or an order of merit or any of those, only the queen can make you a knight of the garter. And she actually knights you with a sword. I think strategically what he did with the order of garter is there was so much knowledge because all of those knights that fought 
in this big battle, totally outnumbered. So all that wealth of knowledge going forward, I think it was an excellent idea. But they did also, at that stage, it did a lot to revitalize English. Um, During his reign, Edward III was a big supporter of the English language. Up to then, the kings of England had only spoken French. And from there on, they started speaking more and more English. And Chaucer had written Canterbury Tales, so people were reading in English. And it changed the whole nature of what it meant to be English. People always spoke later on. They wanted to dress up the way they dressed up in Edward III's time and the way he ran his court. So there was a lot of poetry and balls. He loved having his, his balls. There was, it was a very good, colorful time. They did jousts and all of that stuff too. So the knights were expected to, to fight, to show their military prowess and to dress up with their coats of arms and all the rest of it on. So it was real medieval history. And he did take a lot of that inspiration from King Arthur and the stories of King Arthur. But Gareth, he also at that time, the golden time of his life before he started aging, he had both kings in the tower. I wouldn't say locked up. They were well looked after. Mm-hmm. The King of France and the, the Scottish um, monarch mm-hmm. that caught him as well. So both of them at one time were in the tower. That's quite a collection of prisoners. It's incredible. What drove him was France and Scotland. And he managed to subdue both. Correct, yeah. So Edward III had a quite a long reign, but he also managed to establish one or two interesting things that we continue to use today. that The bicameral parliament, having a House of Commons and a House of Lords, that was his invention. It became a a model, a template for parliaments all over the world since. I mean, the South African parliament has two chambers. The American Congress has the House of Representatives and the Senate. And many other institutions all over the world now follow that British example of having two houses of parliament. It's quite something. So at the end of his life, because he did live a long time, Edward III, his wife had died. Poor woman had had something like 14 children. And she must have been exhausted. So Philippa, Queen Philippa, died. He was distraught, buried her in Westminster Abbey. And he found a mistress, a woman called Alice Perez, who, when she died later on after him, would die as the wealthiest woman in England. But she was quite a nasty piece of work. I'm going to read something to you quickly that they wrote about her. This is written by the St. Albans chronicler Thomas Walsingham. He said, At that same time, there was a woman in England called Alice Perez. She was a shameless, impudent harlot and of low birth, for she was the daughter of a thatcher from the town of Henny, elevated by fortune. She was not attractive or beautiful, but knew how to compensate for these defects with the seductiveness of her voice. Blind fortune elevated this woman to such heights and promoted her to a greater intimacy with the king than was proper since she had been the maidservant and mistress of a man of Lombardy. And while the queen was alive, the king loved this woman more than he loved the queen. They didn't like her. When when he died, apparently, she pulled the rings off his fingers before his corpse had even gone cold and put them in her pockets and ran away. I read that story. Horrible. He was bedridden. He wasn't ruling anymore at Mm. that stage. And his son had died a year before, the Black Prince. Tell us about him. So the Black Prince was his oldest son. He was also, he fitted perfectly in with Edward III. He was chivalrous. He was a great, great warrior. Mm-hmm. He fought alongside his dad in many battles or a lot of battles. His dad let him go on, on his own and he actually lost in a significant battle to the French later on. And then they came to an agreement. But in general, he was incredible. He was quite similar to his dad. 
right at the very end of his life when everything was falling around Edward III. And that was always the sad thing about Edward III because he'd done so much and built so much during his life. And it was almost like it fell off a cliff when he passed away or just before he passed away. Mm. Edward III's son, the Black Prince, gave up a lot of his his territories. His, his territories. So he had to give up three territories. And so all that, that Edward III had organized, in other words, control over France, control over Calais, con- control over Normandy, etc., etc., that all fell away at that particular time, even before Edward III died. Hmm. So that was quite sad. And then, of course, because he died as an old man, there were huge fights about who would take over after him, his eldest son having predeceased him. And the kingdom went to Richard II, who was a a young, spoilt man who took things in a very bad direction after that. And England devolved into the Wars of the Roses, which lasted for some 300 years before things were finally sorted out. Ultimately, it was all sorted out by the Tudors, who are subjects for another podcast, I think. Yes. That was one hell of a family. <laughs> but yeah, there he is, the, the great King Edward III, a real medieval king in every sense of the word. And someone who's contributed to English and to government and to warfare in ways that, that very few people have during their lifetimes. Thanks for listening to this episode of Blind History, brought to you by Taylor Blinds and Shutters. This is CliffCentral.com.